By most standards, uh, Ronald Reagan was a good president. By some standards, he was a great president. He uh, helped end the Cold War in a sense. His strong stance against the Russians and, and nuclear arms helped end, end all that tension, uh, bringing down the Berlin Wall. Um, Ronald Reagan, in his um, coming into the office, was questioned his intellect. Some, some questioned whether he had the intellectual ability to be president. Tip O'Neill at that time thought had taken some early jabs at Ronald Reagan, wondering if he could had the muster to lead the country. Historically, he didn't understand history like perhaps he should have. But Ronald Reagan said one thing that was, said many things. He was a great uh, orator, uh, and Reagan said something that's very true. He said this, if Americans think they're doing better, then they're doing better. If the American psyche is positive about the future of America, then that's substantive enough to help it move in the right direction. And he was right. Uh, the proverb says, as a man thinketh, so is he. Now, before you run down to the local bookstore and grab Norman Vincent Peale's book on the power of positive thinking, that's not what I'm talking about at all. But the power of the mind and how we think does greatly affect us. Caleb shared with me a story of a fellow teacher who had an unfortunate incident with a student, didn't end well at all, and, uh, and that she was having a very difficult time dealing with how to move on as a teacher in that and Caleb shared some things from the scripture and really from the book of Philippians about the humility of Christ and, the, and let this mind be in you. And a week, two weeks later, she came, the same lady came into Caleb's classroom thanking her because now she viewed the entire incident from a different mental perspective, spiritual perspective, and it changed everything. She was set free from the difficulty that she was in. How you think is incredibly important. Um, you can't affect what people say and do, the circumstances. Most of them are life are way beyond our control, but the one thing we have within our grasp is how we think. But it isn't the power of positive thinking, it's the power of biblical thinking. The power to think along the lines of what the Scripture says is true about us. I mean, just get that thing on your mind that God loves you like He does, and that, that alone will lift you through many a... a, a a tough day. So take a look at Philippians chapter 2, um, because in verse 12 follows the first 11 verses, which I know is not real profound to say, but it's important because in chapter 2, verse 12, it says, therefore, therefore being on the basis of what he had just shared, which really kind of began back in, um, oh, let's say verse 5. Verse 5 says, have this mind among yourselves, and then he goes on to describe not their minds, but the very mind of Christ and how he came in humility, how he came and humbled himself, being God and yet not grasping at that title and yet becoming a servant. So this, this mind of Christ, it says, let that mind be among you. Let your thinking patterns be along the lines of how he thought because his mind is literally in you. Now you can't imitate his mind. You can't follow his mind as an example. Many people have tried to do that through the ages, making the Sermon on the Mount simply an example to follow. But the scripture says that his very mind is in us. Well, he is in us. 
So we have the ability to think along his thought patterns and to think like he thought. It is one thing to worship Jesus and simply to praise his name. It's another thing to allow the practical outlay of life to become the mind of Christ where you begin to view things and people and situations from his perspective. That's a whole other ballgame. It's a very practical, hands-on, rubber-meet-the-road approach. Look at verse 12. Therefore, since this is the mind of Christ in submission to the Father and in humility, therefore, it says, my beloved, a reminder that he loves them, as you have always obeyed, well, stop there. That's kind of an ugly word in our culture, isn't it? Many a wife comes and, does, and tells me that they don't want to hear that and during the, the wedding thing, to love, honor, and what? Obey. Well, the, the men don't mind including it in the ceremony, but ladies resist that. It's interesting to me that in a letter in Philippians where he's addressing them as friends, this is not a confrontational letter. This is not a letter where he has to drop apostolic authority on the line. He doesn't have, like Corinth, he had to establish his place as an apostle, his authority. Not so with Philippians. He was a friend to the Philippians, but watch this, very careful. Even in a friendship letter, he talks about them obeying, obeying. Uh, every minister of the gospel is to occupy a twofold position with all of you. One of friendship and yet one of pastoral authority. Don't mistake the two. Don't mix the two. Don't, don't confuse the two. We are all friends, and yet those who lead us occupy a place of authority at the very same time. You can be both, but don't forget either one. Some pastors are, are big on authority, but you can't get to know them as friends. Some pastors are all friendly, but shy back of any authoritative move that needs to be done. Both positions are wrong. We who lead are friends, and we are also in authority. Okay, so, so you have this twofold mix here where, where Paul says, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence when I'm around and I can see you, but much more in my absence. That's the essence of true obedience, you know, to do it when no one's looking, to do it when you could get away with it. By the way, you never really get away with anything because it always comes to light. When you think the boss isn't looking, the boss always finds out. When you think the teacher doesn't know, the teacher's not stupid. They know. And so whatever students, whatever children, in all the realms of the authorities of our life, if you think they're not looking, they're looking, especially in an age of security cameras. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs> hey. So he says here, but our obedience shouldn't be because there's a security camera here. Our obedience should be one from the heart because we because we love the Lord and we're submissive to the authority he's placed over us. That's, that's the great heart right there. So look at verse oh, 12 again. So not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. And then he says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Well, I thought I'm not supposed to work at salvation. Yeah, you are. Now, salvation comes as a 
package that's fully done and completed. Before I move into that, let me also mention it says, work out your own salvation. Not the salvation of other people. Okay. Jesus saves them, you don't. Some people try to play God in the lives of everyone around them. Really concentrate on your salvation. When Karen and I first got And by the way, this word salvation doesn't just mean I'm saved. It means my deliverance from self and flesh. You understand the ongoing, we'll talk about that in a minute. So when Karen and I first got married, I was really concerned about her salvation. I knew she was saved, but I wanted her to be delivered from flesh and self. So I really worked at Karen's spirituality and her Christianity. I really worked at it. You know, I'd leave her notes. And, and so I was always involved in, you know, how you could be more spiritual and how you could, you know, come under the submission of your husband. But that's, you can't do that with anybody. I don't worry about Karen's Christian life. I don't stress over if she's growing in the Lord. That's between her and her Lord. Amen. Neither do I worry about my children's spirituality. A little bit about my son-in-law's spirituality, but other than that... <laughs> I'm not involved in anybody else's salvation. I'm not involved in anybody else's Christianity. Mike's got a big enough job with Mike. Amen. And I got enough to worry about myself without having to save everybody around me. That's the Lord's business. Amen. So work on your own. Concentrate on your own walk with the Lord. And when you do that, you will become an uns- you will become an in- a refreshing to everyone around you. You don't have to concentrate on focusing ministry on people. You let the Lord minister to you, and without you even know it, the waters will be pouring out of you into somebody else. And when they give you a little compliment and pat you on the back, pay it no mind. Pay it no mind to Paul. Just concentrate on the source and work out your own. So what does it mean to work out? Well, you work out what God has already worked in. When I go to the gym, which I try to a couple times a week, I don't go there to get anything new. I go to try to resurrect that which is dying in me. (laughs) Without pulling any muscles, without hurting myself too bad, limiting fat content, I'm trying to, trying to, you know, my doctor told me, you know, because I I went to see him a couple weeks ago, and I said, Doc, you're looking great. He said, man, I work out. I work out all the time. I've been working out since I was a teenager. He looked at me, he says, it's a well, it is a a spring, what's that called, The, the thing down in St. Augustine. It is a fountain of youth. That was his words. That thing stuck with me. Going to the gym is a fountain of youth. Working out is a fountain of youth. Makes you feel better. Makes you feel, okay, I'm not onto that tonight. But the thing is, when, when, I, when you go to the gym, you're exercising, you're developing what's already there. You're trying to, de- it's the same way with Christianity. When God saved you, he put the life of Jesus in you in its entirety. But he put it there as a seed. When you first get saved, flesh and self are much still in control in the dominating force. But as the Lord Lord grows within you, and as you concentrate on him, he begins to manifest himself, and all of a sudden you see the cross and this work done on the self and flesh, and less of you and more of him, and less of you and more of him. And as you work out that thing, he begins to be manifest and magnified, and that's the whole growth process. It's not something you do, but it's something you are to concentrate. In fact, look at the attitude by which you are to concentrate on it. At the end there, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Now, I know the scripture says that God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, so it isn't like you're afraid. 
But there is to be an awesomeness in your spirit about the idea, the truth that God dwells within your soul. That he wants to work through you. That he wants to live his life through you. Give great attention to that. Great attention. I know I quote Chambers a lot. Forgive me for that, but he has a great impact on me. He always says, be, careless, be carefully careless about everything else in your life except your relationship to Jesus Christ. That is the thing to focus on completely. And then all things flow out from them. Work it out. We're not as free as we need to be yet. Okay? Now, what are we to be free from? You, you know self, the whole flesh thing. But let me, let me break it down into that threefold thing that will help us understand. There is the penalty of sin. Sin's penalty. For that, we deserve to be in hell. That is completely erased by the blood of Jesus Christ. At the moment a person is saved, the penalty is gone. Vanished. There is no more condemnation to those that are in Christ. Penalty of sin is gone. Uh, Karen remembered her mom the other day that after every prayer that she would pray for grace and she would always say, and Lord, forgive us for all our sins. And that's just the old school kind of mentality. That's what she was always taught. But do you know really all the sins are already all forgiven and you don't have to keep asking because there's no condemnation because all that sin and guilt and penalty is gone, finished, done. Second of all, there's the power of sin. Ah, now we're talking. There's the power of the flesh. There's that self thing in us that defends self. And remember I said this morning that the truth hurts. The reason the truth hurts is because the power of self still many times dominates within us. When you're confronted and criticized, do you like it? Do you enjoy it? Do you say, excuse me, would you come over here and criticize me? I'd really like that. Would you say something negative about me? If that bothers you, then me is still there. Self is still there. And for all of us, it is. Okay? So this is the power of sin. It's the thing that makes a happy face a sad face. Because we get dragged down. And all the time you're going down, we are going down that well together of self. I'm thinking, boy, if he hadn't said this, if she hadn't done this, if that hadn't happened to me, and you're mad at everything and everybody around you, and all the time it's me, me, me. You can't insult someone who's not there. Okay? So there's this power of sin. That's the work. Now, the third thing, of course, is the presence of sin, which will always be with us until we get raptured. We get our new bodies, and now we don't have flesh and self anymore, and the very presence of sin, that would be a great day. But in this interim between the time my penalty has been erased and the presence is going to be gone is this issue of the power of sin over us. This is the salvation that Paul is talking about here when he said, work that thing out, work that thing out, work that thing out. Concentrate on Christ. Understand the cross as crucified self, buried, dead, and gone. You ever had a boss you didn't like? Oh, go ahead and raise your hand. You ever had a boss you didn't like? I'm always trying to trap Ed into this thing. I'm not your only. (laughs) All right, pick Cheryl. Pick Cheryl. Okay. (laughs) You ever had a boss you didn't like? 
All right, picture the boss that you don't like, a principal that you don't like, okay? Now, you don't work for him anymore because that was years ago, right? They're gone, right? What can they tell you to do? Not a thing. If they called you on the phone tomorrow and said, hey, I want you to come in two hours early, what would you say to them? <laughs> yeah, all right, sure. You might have some very self-fleshly things to say to them. They can't touch you. I've had lots of bosses that rub me the wrong way, and I probably rub them the wrong way. Just wasn't real happy and friendly every day going in. I just, you know, my, after the first few weeks and months of retiring, you wake up every day, and I don't have to face her anymore. You know? I'm free. The old boss who tormented you is gone. They have no power over you, no authority over you. You might see him at Moe's and get a little stomach churning when you see him and try to run back out the door, but they have no more authority of you. Flesh and sin and the power of that has no more authority over you. They're not your taskmaster anymore. Sin can tell. We are the only people in all the world that can say no to sin and have the life and power to do it. The lost man can't do it. Sin comes along and they'll just follow it right down the pike. But he is not, he has no, the flesh has no more power and control because of the absence. You have been separated from him. You see? That's the working out of salvation. Okay, let's go a few more verses. Take a look at. Uh, work out your own salvation with fear and for trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you. Isn't that beautiful? There it is. For a lot of years as a Christian, I was told to work for God. And I kept looking at Scripture and I kept saying, He's working in you. But I was told to keep working. The way you get down the road is seeing how God works in you. He's the only one that can do it. It's, it, it's, it's a ballpark that's way beyond our ability to play in. Can't do it. Notice two things he works, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Two ways to look at this. Most of us look at it that he gives us the will and he gives us the work, he gives us the, the desire, which is the will, and he, he gives us the power to do it. There's a different way to look at it, and it possibly means the other one. Notice, look again, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to accomplish what he wants, his will, and performing that work, notice, for whose pleasure? His. Very important. If this was an Osteen study Bible, it would say this. For it is you that works in you, both the will and to do of your good pleasure. Sometimes his will is not very pleasurable at times. But it's his pleasure, isn't it? Wow. Not warm and fuzzy there, is it? But when it's his pleasure, it's the greatest fulfillment to us and the greatest joy to us. See? So he gets to do what he wants, and he gets to pull the whole thing off, and we get to do the working out. There's this cooperation where God is doing the whole thing, and yet we concentrate on that working and allow that to take over. Is that mind dominating you? Is that mind taking you over? 
Do you see progress along those lines? Are you less insulted today than you were two months ago from things that are said to you? Are you less defensive than you were? Is this mind taking over? Is he dominating? Is this thing working out? Are you building up in strength by the strength of the Lord? See, there's this process that goes on. It's called progressive deliverance from self. How, how gloriously liberating to be delivered from self. Can't touch this. Can't touch it. Can't touch it. Isn't that a song, Brittany? Is it a bad song? Okay. I, uh, I bought some t-shirts one time at, uh, oh, what's that cheap t-shirt place that you go to aftermarket stuff? Anyway, I bought a bunch of t-shirts and I wore them all in one at a time. I bought like four t-shirts and three out of the four were some kind of weird beer, you know, but I didn't know. Or something that was real inappropriate for a Christian to wear. So I'd wear it into work, and, and Big Mike, there was a fellow named Big Mike, big, uh, big guy was a custodian. He, he had a time with that. You, you know what Corolla is, or Corona, or whatever? And I said, no, I don't know what that is. He said, man, it's Mexican beer. I, and so I had to wear, anyway, I threw that shirt, wore the next shirt in, it was something inappropriate, and I, I didn't even know the term. So, can't touch this, is that okay, Brittany? All right. It's MC Hammer. MC Hammer, okay, well... Pastor MC Hammer, okay, is he, he got converted and now he's doing yes, Cheryl. Yeah, yep. Yeah. No, it's it's, 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 yeah. it's real pretty to certain people. That's a, <laughs> Look at verse 14. Do all things. <laughs> Don't stop doing stuff. Do all things without grumbling or, com- or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, that you may be children of God. Notice it doesn't say sons of God. It says children of God. Do you know what a child is, above all things? Simple. Simple. They just are simplicity, are they not? Do you see Landon up here with his little mandolin playing? He's not thinking any, oh, I wonder if they're watching me play the mandolin. Just simple, you know? When a child trusts his parents, it's a simplicity of trust, you know? I'm sure Laurel, I didn't come to you last week and said, Dad, I've I've been calculating how we're going to make the mortgage. I'm, I'm just not sure. No, they don't care. You know, do we have enough money this week for food? They're not in financial trouble. I'm just making that as an illustration. Kids don't do that. Kids don't do that. Kids just live. They just enjoy their mommy and dad. They enjoy their parents. They enjoy their loved ones. They enjoy their friends. They're just very simple. Notice it says here, innocent and blameless enough to to wear a marijuana shirt down the road, and you don't even know what's going on. Uh, I quit wearing a shirt, you know, because once you, once you know, you got to take it off. Yeah. Innocent and blameless, just like children before the father. Hard to insult a child. It really is. They don't get it. They're just simple. 
Don't complicate their lives. It's just, it's just us and God. You know that? It's just you and God. That's, that's the essential thing. And you can't do anything to interrupt my relationship with God, and I can't do anything to interrupt your relationship with God. Nobody can touch that. That's set. Isn't that beautiful? Then it goes on. It says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Mm, in the midst of people who don't think like Christ, don't act like Christ. Sin is dominating their lives in the midst of it. Rubbing shoulders with them everywhere you go in the midst. You know, do, you, do you catch that? Christianity was never meant to isolate itself from non-Christianity. Never was. In the mix of those who don't think right, you think right. You think according to Christ. You think according to the Scripture. You think according to being biblical. As I'm preaching this to you tonight, I'm tem- I, I, I'm con- I have been contemplating for quite a while to write an email note to the president of an organization that gave us some faulty uh, 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 plumbing that kind of messed up in the bathroom. I have decided through my preaching tonight, the Lord has convicted me, and I'm not sending that man an email. He, he is going, he, there was some damage to our house. They paid for the damage, sent Ed the check. Ed fixed it, cashed it and everything. I was waiting for the check to come and be cashed before I let him know what I think about him and his company. <laughs> but I'm not going to do it. Because the Lord just spoke to me and said, you know, that's not the same. If you have the mind of the world, write the man a nasty email. They've made repeated promises that they have not fulfilled, and I would just like to let them have it. I would just like to let, I'd just get it off my chest. Just send them an email. I know he'll read it. And at the end of the email, I was going to say, do not reply to this email. I mean, I had the whole letter constructed in my mind. I'm not writing it. I'm not sending it. In fact, I'm going to send him a letter tomorrow thanking him for taking care of the damages. It's a different way of looking at it. Now, you think that I'm just making this up. I'm not. Before I came in here, I'm writing email. I was all, didn't I ask you this afternoon? Have you cashed the check? I was excited. I'm not doing it now. (laughs) Now, would I feel better if I did it? I probably would have feel better, but would it honor Christ? They've left some messages on my phone, and my phone says, Hi, this is Pastor Mike. Yep. So... Yeah, that's happened before. Yeah, and, and, and uh, anyway, pray for me, because I really wanted to write the email. <laughs> I really wanted to blast this guy. But that doesn't honor him, does it? Okay? Okay. What's that, Jimmy? You got an idea? Can you do it for me, will you? All right. I'll give you the general idea in some instances to uh, quote. Yeah. That's why I worry about his spirituality right there. In the midst of a crooked and gen- twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights. If you act like everybody else, you don't shine like a light. You just figure you're just like them. Darker the night, the brighter the light. Holding fast to the word of life, which is Christ. Embracing and holding fast to the communication that brings life to you. Do you understand? So that in the day of Christ, notice... I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Interesting, isn't it? 
look, we, we, we work hard at this place with the facility, with the buildings and the property. We take pride in it looking presentable and honoring to Christ, but this work is not about the buildings and the property. It's about you and I. It's about us. And someday at the end of our journey together as a church, we'll all stand before the throne of Christ. And the work that Caleb does through the music and Ed does as, as the youth guy and my associate, the work that we do in ministry is in your lives is the work that Christ is doing, and that is our reward, and that is our great hope, and that is our great desire, that we present every man full of Christ at the throne. And we want to labor and have a return for that. And Paul says, I am, in fact, he goes on and says, even if I am poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, If I get judged according to your lives, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Isn't that good? So we run this race together as the body of Christ. And our work is the work of Christ in your souls, which we labor greatly with. We care about. We preach and we teach the truth because we want Christ to grow in, in grace in you. And at the end of the path, God would get all the glory and credit.